I'd like to thank you for inviting me on the show. It's such an honour to be here, and I'd just like to say that when I'm not playing Xbox with my mate Thor, I really like to listen to my favourite podcast, Pop Culture Pasta. Pop Culture Pasta. I don't know if, uh, Cody, I don't know if the maker of the Christmas special that featured Bing Crosby and then um, guest starred a young David Bowie. Okay. I don't know. If, I don't know if the person who came up with that little Christmas variety show gets enough credit for for an absolutely bonkers team up that just works. It does just work. Although I like to think Bowie's like, "Give me Bing or give me death." <laughs> yeah, like clearly, um, it seems like Bowie may have wanted the Bing more than the Bing wanted the Bowie. Bing, Bing by this time looks crotchety and old, and you can just see like the contempt rolling off him. Unless Bing was like, I really need to impress the kids. <laughs> well, that's not what he usually liked to do with kids. Yeah. Um, his So his son is actually in Friday the 13th. He, Bing Crosby's actual son. Yeah. Wow. He meets his end. <laughs> him and uh, uh, who else was in that? There's bacon. Someone, Kevin Bacon, yeah. The Bacon. <laughs> they pretty much all meet their end, right? Yeah, and you actually don't meet, um, is it uh, Jason? Mm, yeah. Yeah, you don't meet Jason in this one. You only hear the legend and then mom's the killer. Spoiler alert. Is she still alive? She's not undead? She's She's, she's still alive. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. I've, I don't think I've ever seen the original. At least I don't remember it. I probably blocked it out. I would block it out. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I was just thinking about that because I'm thinking I'm going to use it in a, in a sermon. The David Bowie, Bing Crosby song. Nice. I'm going to use it in a sermon about uh, shalom. Uh, like, you know, like the Hebrew word for, we, we say peace, but, you know, like that doesn't do it justice. Of course, because English hardly ever does. Um, but like here you have these two wildly different elements, but when they start singing, man, something just happens. It does. Although if I was to do a Christmas song that features Bing Crosby, I probably am doing, do you hear what I hear? Mm -hmm. Um, because that actually is written in response to the Cuban missile crisis. No way. What? Spoilers. It was written in response to the Cuban Missile Crisis? Mm-hmm. Okay, now now you can't just float that out there and not give me backstory. What's up with that? Hold on. I need to know this. Um, That's wild. I just thought that that song was probably older. That's not like a medieval <laughs> carol or a, you know, like 1800s carol that, that was written for the Cuban Missile Crisis. No, no, that, that's newer. He's he's scrambling wildly on his phone, but I'm not moving on in this podcast until I get some answers. Song was written in October 1962 by Noel Regni. That is wild. Gloria Shane. Okay. And then Bing Crosby records it. Um, yeah, some people think that it's an old folk song. Spoiler alert, it's not. Um... It was written during the height of the Cuban Missile Crisis. 
Um, my mind has been blown. Let's see. Oh my goodness. So much about the Cuban Missile Crisis <laughs> in the Bay of Pigs. Um, but that's, uh, a, that's incredible. The I- writers were worried along with everyone else, and um, they had the the hope that in peace that is found in Christ and crisis this Christmas season, we remember Christ being the King of peace. All right. Now, now I need to see the lyrics. Uh, said the night wind, the little lamb, do you see what I see way up in the sky? Little lamb. Do you see what I see? A star, a star dancing in the night with a tail as big as a kite. Said the little lamb to the shepherd boy. Do you hear what I hear ringing through the sky? Shepherd boy, do you hear what I hear? Sort of amazing. This puts a whole different like uh, view for the song for me. So it is really fascinating to learn the history behind some of the songs that we sing and the songs that we play during this season. Just because kind of like with Amazing Grace, like on face value alone, you're like, oh, it's a good song. But then you learn that, oh, this guy... Uh, used to be in the market of trading and selling slaves. Like, yeah. oh. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he was the worst of the worst. And now, ah, he also has found hope and redemption through Christ. Yeah. He was actually on a slave ship when he realized that he was, like when he had his moment, mm-hmm. right? John Newton. So, Of course, today's people would just say, well, he was just suffering white guilt. And then they'd move on. Yeah. Because he cannot be redeemed. But yet within Christ's kingdom, you can be. <laughs> I know. I know. I love, I make you the straight man in these things where you, you get to be the one who's like over, over practical. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> and I get to be sarcastic. Um, this song that actually fits right in to like kind of what I'm talking about in my sermon. Cause I'm going to, as I talk about the, the Bing Crosby, I'm going to do that Bing Crosby, David Bowie thing at the beginning saying like, these are chaotic elements. They do not go together. They do not. And yet when they start singing, like there is something about music that brings us shalom, right? And it's not about music. I'm just kind of, that's a starting point, but nothing missing, nothing broken, yeah. complete. The story of, do you hear what I hear also fits. Yeah. It's you know. a much deeper and richer story than what I painted. Yeah. But yeah, I wasn't ready to talk about, do you hear what I hear? I just know that like face value. I know, ah, oh, this is written about the Cuban missile crisis. And I have preached over this song before, but that's been many moons ago. Well, that was, yeah, that wasn't how I planned on starting the pod, but that was just too interesting for me to let go. I had never heard that. Uh, this is the Pop Culture Pastor Podcast. Welcome. Uh, my name is Dave. That's Cody. I'm here. Yeah, we're here. And we're ready to, uh, I don't know, have a, have a good show. The best show we can ever have. Yeah. So we're going to uh, we're gonna get into some news items here, some pop culture news items. And then later on, we'll review uh, our Christmas movie slash special for this week which is a christmas story christmas and i was expecting it to be bing crosby david bowie team up (laughs) (laughs) i did watch white christmas last night (laughs) but that was not a bing crosby team up with david bowie it was not that would have been a much different movie game changer yeah all right um let's talk about james cameron 
I don't really want to talk about James Cameron, but he just keeps popping up. I first of all, can I say that it's taken me a long time to get to this point? But here I am as the president of I didn't know that James Cameron was this unlikable fan club. I had been there. I mean, so when does the original Avatar come out? Do we do we know that? You don't have to Google it. It's a while ago. Um, I'm going to say like probably 08, 09, maybe 2010. And we've talked about this sort of at length on this podcast and on 2009, the radio. 2009, yeah. It's like the movie's fine. It's okay. Now, the truly thing, the truly um, groundbreaking thing it gets the lay claim to is the first to really use 3D in a real and interesting way. Yeah. The visuals is what it was about. So we believe in giving credit where credit is due, even as unlikable as the guy that made the movie has been. And let me tell you, I didn't realize he was this unlikable until this movie. So I have kind of had a reverse response than you have because I was already in that camp. You were, you were probably already there. from Titanic on. I guess I just didn't follow him that closely. Um, but then this year, there's been stories about like how uh, Guillermo del uh, Toro's uh, right father was kidnapped in Mexico, and James Cameron helped rescue him. And then you find out like the uh, how helpful in James Cameron was with like Titanic research and stuff. And I mean, these sorts of things and it's like, Oh, James Cameron is out there doing some good. Yeah. So it's compartmentalized as it was with most of us. We have areas, right? We have areas that we have to pay attention to individually for ourselves where I realize that my ego or my pride might get me in trouble. And James Cameron is no different. And it appears like the, the area he needs to get himself, he tends to get himself into trouble is, well, it is in movie making and his pride for such. Okay. So he's been on a roll lately. I, I couldn't keep up with sending you all the quotes and the things he's saying. He can slow down. Um, so people were claiming that Avatar has had no cultural impact. Right. But like, so because they're probably reacting to him and um, him and the things he's saying about how like important Avatar was. Yeah. Well, you know, it was really important when it was Dances with Wolves. <laughs> yeah. There you go, James. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and someone basically said, nobody remembers who Jake Sully is, but you remember who Luke Skywalker is. A uh, word. I'm going to assume Jake is the guy that gets transported into like an avatar of being a blue person. Yes. Yes. The, I that mean, is correct. <laughs> it was a 50 50 shot with him being that dude or being the bad guy. James says um, the cultural impact of avatar is an irrelevant argument. He says, quote, if people are less likely to remember Jake solely than Luke Skywalker, that's partly because Avatar has only one movie out. Marvel had maybe 26 movies to build out a universe. Okay, so already we're like, dude, first of all, they compared it to Star Wars and you just went after Marvel. Like, which, whatever, that's the thing to do right now. Um, yes, they might be owned by the same people, but 
No, it's a completely different franchise and universe and all that jazz. I am, I am so over the Marvel bashing one because, um, there's a, it's natural. Like, Oh, I get it. And it's so envy based, right? Yeah. Marvel movies have been the biggest things over the past 10 years. They they've made billions, billions with an S dollars and, yeah, so there's an envy part portion of this, and they've just gone through their first little tiniest valley they've ever gone through. So everybody smells blood in the water, and it's safe, right? So not only is there envy involved, but there's cowardice. There's like you weren't attacking, you weren't attacking the MCU three years ago when they were at their height, coming off the of end game. But you're gonna you're gonna go ahead and attack them now, anyways. He goes after Marvel, which is, uh, we'll, we'll get to that later, but let's address the Luke Skywalker thing because this dude says it's all because there's more movies, which, okay, fine, but I'm willing to bet more people remembered Luke Skywalker after the first movie before Empire came out, then remembers Jake Sully from Avatar. Like, I don't, I didn't even remember the dude's name was Jake. Yeah, like if... Or if he hadn't singled out that character's name in this debate and you had just asked me, do you remember what the guy that gets into the avatar and becomes a blue person, what his name is? I don't I would not have guessed anything. I would have been like, I don't know, Bill. Yeah, it's (laughs) such a weird. And again, it's like. It's a reaction. It's only because James is trying to blow up the importance of his movie avatar that people are then comparing it. Like you shouldn't have to have people comparing it to star Wars. No, like that shouldn't be a problem. Instead. It's a problem because James is walking around pretending that avatar was earth shattering. Anyways, Um, it would be like saying, that planet of the apes is earth shattering. And I think planet of the apes has had a bigger effect than avatar. Right. Ooh, that's a, you know, that's actually a very good comparison for avatar planet of the apes is, is playing around with some of the same themes. Again, I liked it better the original time than I did in avatar. Yeah. <laughs> and I would say that avatar, the original avatar is probably better quality storytelling than the original planet of the apes the original planet of the apes really makes hay off the ending right that's why it gets remembered because it's it's such a shock ending in a time when movies weren't all about shock endings right chuck heston but in that way you can clearly look and say that like but planet of the apes has had way more cultural significance than avatar and i don't think that's going to change because again what they're saying to james cameron is like Dude, your movie's not memorable in any in any sort of way other than the, the graphics, the 3D. So what I remember most about Avatar is that it came out around the same time as Avatar The Last Airbender, which I had seen the series um, and was like, ooh, they're making a live-action adaptation. And so when... Like, the summer before, or maybe even it was before that, like, I was in college. 
I was in the mall in Salina and I got pulled off to the side by this group. And they're like, hey, for uh, 10 minutes uh, of like watching a movie trailer and giving your honest feedback, we'll pay you money. And like they ask you questions before. And it's like, have you heard of Avatar? And I'm like, well, yeah. Avatar: the Last Airbender. I, I'm I'm great with it. And then you, I watch this trailer. And I'm like, what in the world's this blue thing? <laughs> well, then you know you go deeper with that story to understand that like James Cameron had copyright trademarked Avatar way before he ever made the movie. Mm-hmm. And so like they got into some stuff with Avatar: The Last Airbender where they were told basically they had to stop using certain things. Yeah, like just calling it Avatar. You have to go Avatar, the last airbender. And now this one is the way of water in which within Avatar, the last airbender, there are waterbenders. And then there's firebenders and there's earthbenders. And if they go fire in (laughs) movie three, I'm leading the charge. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, you know. It's you'll be, you'll pick up a lot of people because James Cameron doesn't do it himself any favors. No. Uh, for instance, this report, the film crew on Avatar Way of the Water has to play an awooga sound effect of a submarine diving alarm to get James Cameron's attention. Cameron says, I don't even respond unless they do the awooga. <laughs> oh. oh, that's not a good look. <laughs> He says that this is this is amazing, right? I think the crazy thing about listening to him talk is the hubris that just drips off it, man. He says this. He says the ideas for Avatar came from his dreams. That's what he's explaining about. He says, quote, I have my own private streaming service that's better than any of that bleep out there, and it runs every night for free. So even when he's talking about, like, you know, his own thoughts and creative ability, he can't help but bash everything else, right? <sighs> Jimmy, come on. <laughs> I mean, yes, this dude has made some good, like, it's funny that it's all based around Avatar, which I would consider middling stuff of his. Yeah. Like Terminator and Terminator 2, far superior than Avatar. Titanic far superior than avatar even with the ending where if she would have just scooted (laughs) over leo could have got up let it go (laughs) uh and then there's the weird marvel slander okay so like again i get it it's so like envy based and a little cowardice because Marvel's down a little bit. So they're all of a sudden it's cool to point out that, Hey, this isn't, it's not as good as it used to be. And maybe it's because of the movie structure. Suck. I mean, whatever they wanted to say it is. Um, now that I'm thinking even deeper about this, honestly, I think top guns had just as much of an impact, if not more. <laughs> Than Avatar? Yeah. Oh, it's not even close. And Top Gun is just like a popcorn flick. Yeah. They don't, they're not even trying to be like, yeah, exactly. But no one, Scorsese's not going out of his way to bash Tom Cruise, is he? They're afraid of the Scientology. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, he, he James Cameron said this uh, a few months back about the Marvel stuff. He said, the things that really ground us and give us power, love, and a purpose, those characters don't experience it. And I think that's not the way to make movies, which when he said at the time, I was like, yeah, that proves he just doesn't watch them. Yeah. 
No, they're experiencing all the things we experienced, James. That's why we like them. Like phase four was largely about grief. It was even when told in a funny manner. Yeah. (laughs) Cody can't go far without a little uh, backdoor defense of Thor love and thunder. I am the only one on this hill, (laughs) but I will stay there. And finally, James says the haters are all going to quote, shut the bleep up when they rewatch avatar. He said the trolls will have it that nobody gives a bleep and they can't remember the characters' names or anything that happened in the movie, uh, but they're going to watch it again. Well, that's where you're wrong, James. <laughs> I have no plans to rewatch the original Avatar or go see any of your six sequels. So I have seen bits and pieces of Avatar since it's come out, and that's primarily because my wife actually likes the movie. Um but I think that she would be like you in listing at least three other James Cameron movies ahead of it. I mean, for my money, the best thing about Avatar, uh, full stop, is Stephen Lang. The guy who plays the evil colonel guy. Yeah. So literally, Jake was going to either be the guy that gets in the the avatar or he was going to be the evil bad villain colonial dude yeah like that's where steven lang's been around for a long time yeah he's actually been in movies that i liked and i just didn't remember him i remember him from this movie this because i watched this movie i'm like this dude's a movie star (laughs) like i like him because and maybe it's because you know sam worthington which like, look, I don't want this to turn into a Sam Worthington bash fest because he was going, he was like the Hollywood darling at the time of this. And everybody could tell it's like, he can't emote. He's like the Kristen Stewart of, of dudes, right? He's he can't like his face. It doesn't move. And so next to him, like it made all the other actors in uh, avatar, in my opinion, look, you know, like they were really acting up there, but Stephen Lang, he's been the man and his career was kind of, um, has kind of flourished after this, after avatar. Yeah. He had a Renaissance, if you will. In fact, if we're, if we were reviewing this and we were picking a winner of the movie, I would pick Stephen Lang. Cause he's, Oh, hands down. He's the one who seems to benefit the most. Although James Cameron uh, apparently is up on that list. I, or Zoe Saldana. Yeah, yeah, maybe, but I I would say she gets more exposure in, you know, especially money out of Marvel. Oh yeah, um, definitely so, not Sigourney Weaver. No, uh, <laughs> Sam, um, for the Christian movie tie-in, he was in the yeah, shack. Yeah, well, exactly. So to to tell you everything you need to know about Sam's career <laughs> is he has to do Christian movies. Um. Although, this is one of the better non-testimonial Christian movies, but it was based on a decent book. Also, we're now ducking flaming arrows from all sides. Oh, yeah. Because calling the shack a Christian movie is like, tons of conservative Christians are now upset with me. Oh, yeah. Now now we're getting it from everywhere, and Sam Worthington fans. (laughs) (laughs) So we're we're just making everyone mad in this pod. Uh, but it was important because we needed to tell you, we need to really flesh out this James Cameron situation. Um, he wasn't done Cody. 
what <laughs> he seems like re- like okay when i think of this movie this avatar 2 how well do you think it's gonna do oh uh, it'll make bank you think so it'll make bank do you think it does as well as the first one um well it's going to have to do really well to make back all the money it spent i know it's gonna have to <laughs> oh did we, did we mention that on this pod um i don't know if we mentioned it on the pod or if we mentioned it on the radio pod let's mention it again it has to make it ha- by the time it's done it will have to be one of the four top yeah. four highest grossing films of all time just to make its money back that's insane that's absurd that's who would green light that like some there's jobs writing on the success of this um literally i imagine that has to be more than uh well it does have to be more it has to be more than the uh rings of power series season one cost and that was an absurd amount (laughs) yeah talk about divisive the rings of power stuff that goes back to our, our world building our canon episode though, because I watched it. It was like, just, this is delightful. Yes. <laughs> there's such a division in so much space between us. So I think with this, that you are going to get a lot of people that are nostalgic about seeing avatar. They're like, Oh, I remember this being a big deal. 13 years ago mm-hmm. um and they'll go out and see it and they'll be like um this might just be a one-off instead <laughs> of going back and doing repeat viewings which i know several people that did just because the 3d animation was stunning um if you really liked fern gully or dances with wolves or pocahontas um you, you get the story again um and a handful of other stories yeah. thrown in there because james cameron really his dreams aren't that original i put this in the same category uh, for me as maybe transformers movies like i saw the first one yeah and then when i saw that there was a sequels they were getting they start making sequels and i'm like oh okay <laughs> because the first one yeah didn't blow me away and they keep, and then they, I'm suspect it's going to be the same feeling because the Transformers came out with another, another trailer the other day. And I yeah. was, now I'm to the point where like, you're kidding me. You're kidding me. Um, is Michael Bay making that one? No, he's not. Oh, thank goodness. Does it matter? <laughs> Does it matter? We're on Beastmasters, right? They've turned this into a live action. Well, you know what? We're not here for Transformers slander. I've got all of it, though. <laughs> we might have to make a whole episode of the Transformers movies because they're... Whew, that's something. That is something. Um, so they used, like, my favorite Transformer villain. Um, and I didn't even watch that one all the way through. And it was disappointing. Which villain? Unicron. They use that in a live action? Yeah. I don't even I don't even know. It's the uh Wahlberg one. Oh, that's weird because uh and they give you a little backstory that Shia LaBeouf is dead. <laughs> they it's already used the perfect 
they already used Unicron in a perfect way in the animated Transformers, the movie, and they need never needed to revisit that. I, wh- whatever. This isn't a Transformers episode. I get it. I understand that Transformers is now something different for the people that like it now. That's fine. Yeah. Um, Avatar, the way of water, three hours and 10 minute long runtime. Oh, this is going to be rough. Somebody asked James Cameron about like, Hey, did you think about putting in an intermission or something? a bathroom break. And and he said, no audiences can go anytime they want. They can come, they can see the scene with, that they missed when they g- come see it again. <laughs> you think I'm seeing it again? <laughs> this dude, this dude, man. <laughs> like I will see it once just because I love my wife and I will go with her and support her in her viewing <laughs> of avatar too. But if I get up and go to the restroom, I might dilly dally out in the lobby forever. (laughs) Uh, And finally, when someone um, mentioned, Hey, you're getting up there in age and you've got plans for like seven more of these or whatever. He's like, will you pass the baton to someone else to direct him? And uh, because James Cameron definitely believes he's the only person on earth capable of directing a great movie. He said, I would have to train somebody because I don't care how smart you are as a director. You don't know how to do this. Well, I mean, and my, my response, like what I really want to say is what make a mildly non interesting movie with great effects. (laughs) Um, (laughs) this guy, seriously, Cody, what's up with this guy? Was he always like this? We just didn't know. Um, I want to assume. Yes. I mean, yeah. But I mean, like, he has elevated his being past that of Stanley Kubrick or Francis Ford Coppola uh, or even Scorsese. And I'm like, uh, I mean, uh, Titanic, definitely, if you were in alive in the 90s and were either a stereotypical I know we shouldn't stereotype but like stereotypical female or a male in a relationship yeah you watched it um, I watched it just because like my aunt rented it and we were being babysit or babysat and I'm like eh, this movie's not for me yeah I just don't I don't understand people like look James Cameron has made some of the biggest movies of all time yeah, I mean, let's let's give credit where credit was due because unlike James, we believe in affirmation. Yes, and so he definitely knows how to make a movie that I guess is rewatchable in theaters or will draw out masses. I mean, it's okay to say that he makes great cinema, though. Like, yeah, Titanic whatever if you titanic's I, one of those movies where you can not be a fan of it i'm not a fan of titanic it's not something i go back more and billy zane but when i walked out of the theater from watching titanic i understood that i'd watched something that could have been just you know oversimplified and been like blockbustery popcorn movie but i actually did walk out of the thinker think out of the theater thinking i've watched something profound yeah um I yeah I'm not I'm not going to elevate you to the top of the pinnacle of directors though James yeah my point is is 
it's it's why we respect guys that are at the top of their profession who are they they give affirmation to their fellow oh yeah uh, people in their field and it's a respectful thing to do and it makes them honorable um, because everybody's like especially things that are highly subjective you know which is we've talked about this before making movies and movies watching movies and what we like and so for james cameron like let's let's put ourselves in zoe saldana's shoes Zoe Saldana, who's in Avatar and is in this sequel to Avatar, who is a pretty big movie star in her own right. She also is in these little movies called the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, of which he poops on mm-hmm. uh, by by way of just pooping on all of Marvel. And like for my money, the original Guardians of the Galaxy, if it stopped at one movie, way more memorable than Avatar. Oh, yeah. Like, let's just put James Gunn little movie up there next to avatar and, and have this conversation about memorable what's memorable because for my money guardians of the galaxy took a bunch of unknown, like, look, everybody can pretend like, Oh, I was always in on the guardians of the galaxy. No. When they came out with that, they were making that movie. I was like, are you sure about that? This is not one of your known properties. No, not at all. I mean, when, because of guardians, DC then is like, oh, we feel comfortable making a Suicide Squad movie, in mm-hmm. which then I'm like, are you sure you want to do a Suicide Squad movie? <laughs> and then after the first Suicide Squad movie, I'm like, this is what I was kind of afraid of. But then James Gunn made a Suicide Squad movie, and I'm like, oh, that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess my point is, is, Settle down, James. Um, so for my money, within my lifetime, you know, it's hard to knock off Spielberg. Yeah. It's hard to knock off Ron Howard. Um, I mean, even the friend that he helped rescue his dad, Guillermo, uh, like visually, Honestly, his, even though he's primarily in the horror genre. Well, have you ever seen Pan's Labyrinth? Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, that's, there's stuff in there that just sticks in your mind. And yeah, Spielberg's a great mention because, like, even Spielberg's not real remembered movies are more memorable, in my opinion, than Avatar. Like, there are, I still, at least once a week, literally think about Empire of the Sun which was Christian Bale's big start in a Spielberg movie back whenever where Christian Bale was a kid and that movie about, um, you know, an internment camp in, in, in China during world war two, like that movie is just fantastic. And I still think about that movie. It's very memorable. Now, again, that could be subjective. Um, honestly, the movie duel. Yeah. Um, I mean, the cinematography is way beyond what I I feel Jimmy has done. Yeah. I, I'm 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 slandering James, I know, but like at the same time I'm like, okay, Terminator, great. Terminator two, great. Well yeah, I guess let's let's bottom line this. Because we've been talking about this for longer than I actually wanted to. You're so, welcome. So let's let's bottom line this. 
you are great, James Cameron. You are great, but you're making it really hard for us to want to acknowledge it and um, to go along with it. Like when we would, if you just, you know, kept your mouth shut sometimes or talked about how great the other people are around you. Like, first of all, this dude, how many people does it take to make a movie? Oh my goodness. How, like what are we, the, what are we talking about here? The, Hundreds. Yeah. The post credit scene are like thousands of names is never ending. How many times has this dude mentioned any of them in his avatar? So great tour recently. None. I mean, come on, James, just let's, let's be a little bit more humble and then we can all get on board and say, yeah, man, you're a great movie maker. We've all seen it. We've, we've seen it in our lifetimes. And even if avatar is not my favorite, I'm going to go back through your repertoire and be like, dude, you've made some bangers. I will say if James keeps talking like this, he's going to join Kirk and Candace as Cameron's in the not so great zone. Uh, Cameron slander. <laughs> All right. That's enough of that. Tell us what you think about James Cameron's recent avatar uh, way of water tour where he's been kind of just bashing anyone and everyone. Um, do you plan on seeing the movie? Let us know uh in our on our social media when we post this episode and we'll get it we'll get move on to something else now uh we're gonna take a break then when we come back we'll talk about a christmas story christmas coming up We're back to talk about, well, to continue our Christmas series. It is now a series. It is a series because we reviewed um, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special last week. And this week, it's not what you voted for per se. What actually was voted for for the Santa Clauses. And we so we will do that. We're earmarking that. But we're going to wait for the whole series to come out because it'll all come out before Christmas, right? I assume so. I'm yeah. So this wasn't my vote. Someone pointed out, Lauren, a listener pointed out on our poll that, and she was the one who introduced this into the last week's poll, the Santa clauses was that maybe we should wait until it all comes out to review it. Good idea, Lauren. And I watched the first couple episodes and I was like, I agree. There's not, there's not enough to talk about yet. It feel like, feels like we don't want to come on here and review it and give it an incomplete. Cause we don't, we haven't seen it all yet. So yeah, which is some series. I'm okay with that. Like I was okay with that with she Hulk because it was clear that she Hulk was what it was <laughs> like. It's not going to surprise us. I'm holding out hope that Santa Clauses might surprise me, which will lead you to believe what I've thought of about the first couple episodes. <laughs> Spoiler. It is citizen Kane of TV series. <laughs> I do like Tim Allen though. <laughs> Yeah, not enough Tim Allen. Um, but instead, we're going with the the second place vote here, which was Christmas Story Christmas, a um, 
somewhat like how do you explain a sequel when there was a sequel to Christmas story, but it was junk with totally different characters. And now you come to this where it's like, Oh, this is a real, it's like spiritual sequel. Um, this literally is what I rant and rave about with Rocky. Oh, okay. That like, Oh, there's a sequel and we, don't count it. It just magically doesn't exist within our frame of reference. Oh man. Are we going to go through this with no, this? We're not going to, but I'm just saying, you're not going to tell me that Christmas story two is like somehow emotionally impactful for you. <laughs> it's it, like the sandlot too. like, yes, it exists, but we don't pay attention to it, but I acknowledge it's existence. Okay. But it's completely different characters. So we don't have to, okay. We don't have to acknowledge it. It's like, it never happened. Which, <laughs> just like Rocky Five, <laughs> Rocky Five definitely happened. <laughs> so Christmas Story, Christmas, we get like the original people back, mm-hmm. and the whole um, premise of this story is that we find Ralphie now an adult, grown up with a family as of his own. We're in the seventies now, and um, the movie almost. You, you, you find out some things early on about where Ralphie's at in life. And then almost immediately we're alerted to the presence that Ralphie's dad has, has passed away. And then the, the re- remainder of the movie becomes uh, Ralphie's attempt to kind of reconcile all of these uh, loose ends in the story that come up, uh, i.e. Uh, creating a great memorable Christmas for his family yeah, one that his dad would have been proud of while being a great dad to his kids. And, you know, essentially it's the saving Christmas storyline. By the way, spoilers. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. be had. Yeah, lots of spoilers. That was just the, the broad take on the movie. Now we're getting into serious spoiler town. Um, and so that's the yeah, that's the whole conceit of the movie. Let's talk about the nice list. What do we like about this movie, Cody? Um, okay. So I'm going to list two things, but one's like a very minor thing. Okay. And then the other thing is something that I really loved in this movie. Um, so first thing, Hey, the mom's the lady from airplane. (laughs) Um, then number two is their reaction to the Christmas carolers. (laughs) <laughs> that was the best part for of the whole movie for me. Okay. There is some, okay. So I wrote, I wrote this down in my notes. There are some choices they made that really like, okay. So they seem to be aware of the problem of this movie. Like whoever wrote this seems to be aware of the problem, which is, and we'll get into this later, a sequel to something that's a classic probably will never be a classic, Right. Most of the time, especially with that much time in between. Yeah, because it's going to end up being derivative. So the movie makers or whoever's writing this story thought, we've got to put some things in here that make these people seem unique. And so the people watching are reminded that these are, hey, these are real weird. These are real people with real quirks. And like that whole sequence, the, the car- so the carolers, when that first starts, I'm like, what's happening? Like, why are they afraid of carolers? See, because I'm clearly Ralphie's wife in that scene. I'm just like, oh, hey, look, carolers. So 
it conjured up different imagery within my mind of like so there are like I guess missionaries or uh, people from random churches that will come and knock on your door and try to share a message uh, about their denomination or their religious affiliation and like we would do that. <laughs> Turn off all the lights. <laughs> We're not here. <laughs> <laughs> Hide behind the furniture. <laughs> so, yeah, I liked that. That was, it was kind of absurdist, but also, yeah, one of the genu- more genuinely funny parts of the movie. Um, I love that the lady from airplanes, like doing a, like a puppet with the curtains, um during that so that way ralphie and the family can escape and uh get out of the house yeah um (laughs) let's talk about her for a second because it's sort of interesting because this movie obviously goes um to painstaking um effort to oh hold on sorry I'm trying to Google this at the same time because I don't want to forget the original lady's name. Um, It goes to great efforts to bring back all of the regular cast, except for Melinda Dillon. Now, I don't know what the story is with Melinda Dillon. She's still alive. Oh, that's good. So I'm not sure why she's not in this movie. Um, I remember hearing something about it that she was approached. She just didn't want to do it. I don't blame her. Which, you know, yeah, fine. That's fine. And uh, especially with the dad having died here a couple years back, Mm. um, which I believe has been pretty recently, I could see her being like, you know what? It's a good time to recast the mom, too, because it doesn't feel right. Um, And also, there's some people that don't want their, I guess, legacy tarnished by a bad sequel yeah they're like oh the first one that was a great movie let's uh not revisit this and keep the memory of me unstained by this more often than not um what we think of as classics the the people that were in it don't yeah so like tom hanks thinks he's put out four good movies in his career and that's it like, seriously. I want to know what the four are. Well, it's definitely not the Burbs. I was really disappointed once on hearing an interview where Tom Hanks just trashes the Burbs. And I was like, seriously, Tom, that's one of my favorites. Now, is that the one that it uh, Henry Winkler starts off directing? Oh, I have no idea. I didn't know. Because there is a movie that Tom did where Henry starts off directing, and I don't think he gets to finish directing. Uh, and there's like some weird beef between him and Henry Winkler, which is weird because Tom Hanks and Ron Howard are like buddy buddies and Tom's and every other Ron Howard flick. Interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I just know I love the burbs and he trashes it. But while meanwhile saying that Joe versus the volcano was one of his better movies. And I'm just like, no, Tom. Joe Vol- Joe versus the volcano is complete and utter trash. It's a dumpster fire. <laughs> Terrible movie. It's like Avatar. <laughs> Completely forgettable in every way. Um, anyways, let's not let's not backtrack here. What were we talking about? 
um, a Christmas story, uh, story. Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So we were talking about the mom, but let's move on. Um, on my nice list is just the nostalgia of it. Okay. So they, they do something interesting here where they're like, we're going to as faithfully as we can go back and get the original actors, which for a kid actor movie, which is largely what we're talking about here. That's probably pretty tough. Um, literally i i think as long as they were still alive um it might not be super tough because heyday well right and so but it's tough in the fact that like what we talked about before where um kid actors aren't really good kid actors because of their talent yeah and so that doesn't translate well to adults and often you have these like people who are child stars who maybe are like still trying to run griffs Okay, so like there was a story about Yano Anaya who plays Grover Dill or quote unquote the toady. Yeah. In the original, who was like had to, he has like a restraining order on him to not go near the actual house where they filmed this because the owner of the house now had to like kick him off his property where he was doing like tours. <laughs> oh wow. And like sitting on their front porch like trespassing basically. So sometimes when you go back through movies and especially if there's like a lot of child or teen uh, actors in it, you'll be like, Whoa, these people went on to have amazing careers. Um, this was not that movie. No, the the original wasn't that movie. And then you see these people and you're like, uh, this one might look familiar. Yeah. And there's a lot of interesting stuff here. So what I'm going to say is I actually think that this movie is at its best when the old characters are on the screen. And in particular, I think flick and Schwartz and the bar crew are the best parts of the movie. Um, yeah, they probably carry the most nostalgia and, fun jokes and all that stuff because every time the phone rings in the bar right like we're all dead silent yeah those scenes are gold those scenes were gold and it's partly due to the the charisma of the guys that play flick and schwartz uh, who are you know flick is scott schwartz by the way which is interesting and then schwartz is rd rob um and i thought i actually think they're great uh, they have some interesting so scotty schwartz was in big movies as a kid. So he was in, um, uh, what was that? The toy. Yeah. With, uh, uh, Richard Pryor. And he has a really interesting history because he's one of those dudes who's a child actor who kind of goes off the rails when he realizes nobody wants to put him in movies anymore. When he grows up, he has, um, some, some time in adult movies. Oh yeah. Yeah. So he's got an interesting thing. And so to see him in this movie as a bartender, and even in the little bit he gets to do, I'm like, oh, okay, this guy had real talent. Mm-hmm. Like, th- I could see why it was hard for him because he's cast aside as a child actor. Yeah. But when he's on screen in this movie, you understand, oh, there's something different about him compared to the rest of these guys. Like, him and, and I thought Schwartz did a good job too, this RD Rob. When they were on the screen, I was like, okay, we have real people that can carry a scene. Yes. Because if there is one thing, well, I'll save it for later. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're, we're treading very closely to that other shoe dropping. 
Yeah. And we're going to, oh man, there's going to be some Ralphie slander. And I just, I don't know that I'm ready for it yet. (laughs) There's going to be a lot. (laughs) But there's a serious problem with this movie and we'll get back to it. But I want to say that the best on the nice list is the nostalgia people, the nostalgia factor of these two people who I believe uh, or the, the, the original crew are the best part of the movie. And it's the nostalgia. The movie's at its best when the crew is on there. Do you have, uh, do you have anything else on your list? Cause I've, um, I've got a few more. Things. I guess I just one more thing. Um, mm-hmm. it would probably be that capturing of, um, being like lower middle class in like some of those struggles and burdens that you, uh, have to put up with. Like every time the, uh, radiator overheats Mm -hmm. like oh let's put an egg in it yep they do a good job with that like there's several and they don't hit you over the head with it you really got to pick it up and Mm -hmm. this is why i think there was some real smart choices they made trying to make the same kind of movie they made with a christmas story which the reason a christmas story is a classic is because of the nostalgia because people looked at ralphie and they identified with that character. Like I can remember being that guy as a kid and his parents were kind of like my parents. And I remember growing up without much when we didn't have much. And you know, the bumpuses have dogs, <laughs> you know, like yeah, it was so easy to identify with. And they tried to do the same thing here with seventies kids. I think mm-hmm. it just, uh, it doesn't get quite as close to landing because I don't think they spend as much time on it. So this is what I'm going to talk about a little later is like when you do a sequel to a classic that was based on nostalgia, the problem is, is you got to split your, your, your focus. So half is going to be the sequel and half is going to be the nostalgia, which made the first one great. Mm -hmm. So what you're left with is this kind of half and half feeling of, man, this is halfway to a, a good movie, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, for me, part of the half they got right was the recreation of what made the first one so good. The daydreaming sequences were Ralphie, uh, daydreams, just like when he was a kid, I thought those were all uh, funny and they were charming in a way they had that they were done in a way that I felt like, yeah, this is the same dude. We're still, we're, we're experiencing life with Ralphie. We are now we'll get into this later, but Ralphie daydreaming when he was a kid is somewhat less um, uh, bothersome than day- daydreaming as an adult. <laughs> oh, when he uh. should be paying attention. <laughs> uh, the casseroles, a Midwest cuisine. Although these were like exotic and nasty <laughs> ones. Yeah, but so they're playing it up. It's supposed to be kind of a joke. It made me think of the mom in uh, Better Off Dead. Yeah. And like where it's it's exaggerated for sure, but man, did they capture the Midwest flavor of that, of like, yeah, when, when if someone passed away and you were on the meal train, you were going to be getting some casseroles, my friends. Uh, we were all about the casseroles in the Midwest in, in the early 80s for sure. Um, the ramp segment of the film, a frozen sluice of terror. <laughs> Yeah. Again, kind of proves goes back to the point where I think this movie's at its best with that crew on the, on the screen. Mm -hmm. 
that that totally recaptured the flavor and the atmosphere and of like the original triple dog dare scene for me like that one totally accomplished that and in a different way because they're all adults and they're all kind of i mean in a put this in a as nicely as i can put it they're kind of (laughs) losers they are like they've grown up to be not accomplished well, I mean, literally, they were all super ecstatic that he got published in the local newspaper. Yeah. Flick owns a bar, which they clearly state was given to him by his dad. His dad's bar. <laughs> nice. Uh, do you have anything else on the nice list? No. No. Okay, let's move on to the naughty list. What didn't we like? Most of the actors. <laughs> <laughs> Like at that point, I'm like, mm. like you could have like, surely there were some celebrities out there that had all the nostalgia and feels for a Christmas story, like B and C less people that you could have got to like spruce things up with some of the scenes, like, maybe some cameos. Yeah, yeah, like. That would have helped a lot. Otherwise, we're really relying on the two main guys at the bar and the lady from Airplane. Yeah. And the wife has been in some things. Uh, So, like, she wasn't bad. Her character just really wasn't focused on that much. Well, and also, okay, so Aaron Hayes is her name. Like, let's take a look at her for a minute. She's a tall drink of water. Yeah. And for half the movie I'm 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 left sitting there being like no way this lady ended up with Ralphie. Oh yeah. <laughs> Cuz not so much because of her but because Ralphie Ralphie's got some issues. Ra- Ra- let's just get it. This is first on my naughty list. Self-absorbed kid Ralphie. Okay, get it. I it's entertaining, it's funny. Yeah. Self-absorbed adult Ralph? No, bro. No. This dude is the worst. He's the worst. Like when he's going to visit the publishers and he's like, oh, I know that this will win them over. This is the good stuff. This is this is one of the choices I don't understand with this movie to make him pretty much exactly the same as Kid Ralphie. Like, no, he grew up; he would have matured in some ways. No, he did not. No, and it, and they don't even think about what this is going to do to the viewer, which is Ralphie is very unlikable. He's super unlikable. I mean, just uh, so self-absorbed. Like most of the movie, you're just thinking well, this dude's kind of a jerk and he doesn't really care about his wife and his kids. And then he doesn't even learn anything in the end. Like, no, he's not taken through any sort of arc. Like, let's be really honest. Scott Farkas has more of a redemptive arc in this movie in three minutes of screen time. Oh, than Ralphie is even close to. Yeah. Like the only real story i guess is for ralphie is ah his dad was a good guy (laughs) right yeah that was it man sure stinks his dad's not around because he was the only redeemable human being in this family 
<laughs> you got mom hiding from carolers. Randy's off living the life in India. Doesn't even want to come home because when his dad dies. Yeah. And and Ralphie. Oh my gosh, Ralphie's the worst. Um, like the somehow the kids are better than Ralphie, and they must get it from the mom. Yeah. Well, it's, okay. So let's talk about this in a in a technical way. So they make a choice here. They make a choice in the name of nostalgia to make Ralphie super. So like we don't, we understand it's Ralphie, but they go over the top because Ralphie, by doing that, you're telling the viewer that Ralphie has not matured or grown since he was that kid. No. Which like, again is adorable in children. Sometimes not really adorable in adults. No. Um, so this is, uh, if I was making the film, which I would never have made this film, um, I would have a had Ralphie be there, but I think I would have focused more on the kids and mm-hmm. have like yeah. occasional like, oh look, these guys are still alive and they're hanging out at the bar and that yeah. sort of stuff. Yes, yes, I totally agree with that. Give us a story that revolves around his children. Because they get to be like kind of the the scene breakers. Mm-hmm. Like you go from the main scenes, the they get to be like on the side. And to me, the we should have had more of them. Like this should have been a story about the kids. Because all of a sudden it makes the crux of the movie, the things he has to do, less impactful. Because again, we're getting jerk Ralphie as the center. Yeah. And we're not really invested in why the little girl is so thinks it's so important that he go get the star that there has to be a star on the tree. Um, literally I would have liked to know more about Farkas's kids. Oh man. Yeah. Scott Farkas. The, okay. Who's the actor who plays them? Cause we gotta, we gotta give him credit here. Zach Ward as officer Scott Farkas in the two to three minutes of screen time he gets, I think is maybe the best in the movie. Yeah, he was great. (laughs) He was awesome and believable. And like immediately when he gives him that last little speech where he says, hey, man, you uh, you throttling me really turned my life around and he's giving appreciation. And he says, if anyone else would have picked you up tonight, you'd be rotting in a jail cell all weekend. It's funny how things turn around, huh? (laughs) Like, yeah, he was great. And I was like, yeah, in this scenario. Scott Farkas is the dude who actually matured and grew up. Meanwhile, Ralph is still kind of a jerk. And, and it just, it doesn't sit well with me because in a movie that's trying, where he's trying to honor his dad, wouldn't it have been more honorable for Ralphie and, and his brother not to have grown into like ridiculous idiots? Um, like he could have been more like his dad, right? Everyone in the movie is like me. Your old man was the best. And I'm just sitting here like, but we're not seeing any results of that. <laughs> what are we? Yeah, that was no bueno. Yeah, it was weird. And it all, I think it was all because of the choice he made with um, this choice he made between or the movie makes of being nostalgic and making sure you have the same feel instead of just telling us a new story. Yeah. And so I think they make a little bit of a mistake there with Ralphie self-absorbed Ralphie. And, and really he goes through no redemption arc. 
No. He doesn't learn anything by the end of the movie. He just gets what he wanted because everyone else was was fighting for him. Yeah. He has this great supporting cast who's actually doing all the things for him. And he doesn't learn anything. And it's weird. <laughs> yeah. No, I was not. Yeah, there's several things within this movie that were kind of problematic for me, especially with Ralphie and the direction they chose to go with the character. And I mean, there are some people that don't really mature out of uh, their childhood ways. Mm -hmm. Um, But in that instance, I would have wanted Ralphie to spend the weekend in jail. (laughs) Like, right. I was okay with him rotting uh, in a jail cell for the weekend. Let's compare him to another great um, 70s, 80s era dad, Clark Griswold, who who himself stars in a Christmas classic. Yeah. Um, if we compare Ralphie as an, as an older dad, let's look at Clark. He works for a nameless corporation where he is a nameless forgotten employee. Yeah. Uh, and, and he's struggling with that. Obviously I think the problem is, is by making Ralphie a, a, an aspiring writer. And by the way, not a good one. Yeah. I mean, you wordy. they've made it very clear that he's not good at it. And we should have known that because he got a C plus or whatever on his paper. <laughs> yeah. I think again, they make a choice to, to connect it to the original because he liked daydreaming and writing you know, he liked that writing. It's, I mean, he was excited about it and they make it to connect it without really thinking about what it does to the character. So the character is kind of a jerk because he's, his family struggling and he's apparently quit his job for a year to chase after something he's not very good at because his wife loves him so much. Um, way too nice of a wife. All of the sacrifice is on his wife and kids. Yeah. And so I think they would have been better served to have, if we'd have seen an adult Ralphie who maybe had been doing the sacrificing, like flip that around a little bit. The story becomes more appealing if he's more like Clark Griswold who had hopes and dreams. And even within uh, Christmas vacation, you get Clark thinking about the importance of family. Um, The pool is for the kids. Like, my wife and kids are going to be so proud. They're going to be so happy when they get to finally have this. Yeah. And there's actually motivations beyond just Clark. Yeah. And so, yeah, they're, they're actually the same kind of character yet with different motivations. And it means everything. Um, I also thought it was a weird choice that the kids get hurt, but it's by the hands of Ralphie (laughs) and, Like, as someone that is not financially stable, why do you keep sending your kids to the ER? (laughs) Stop that. Well, the one kid had a broken arm. He had to go, right? Um, And the the daughter got hit in the eye. Uh, I mean, admittedly, that was funny. I laughed out loud. And uh, and I killed Amy. (laughs) I did laugh at that, but at the same time, like you could, it was for me, that was clearly a reach back for nostalgia because there's the scene after Ralphie beats up Scott Farkas where he's cursing Mm. and Randy's hiding in one of the cupboards. 
and daddy's gonna kill Ralphie. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, dad never wanted to kill Ralphie, but Ralphie's gonna kill his kids <laughs> one way or another. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was. I don't know. There was some. There were some curious choices in this movie. Um, I was gonna say something, but I've since forgotten. I tried to forget this movie. Do you have any more on your naughty list? Like, I feel like I could, I could go on longer. Yeah, like I would just be beating a dead horse. Yeah, but overall, point. it just makes some weird choices in the name of nostalgia, instead of giving us characters who are you know developed characters. And and really, the one that it hurts is Ralph. Oh yeah, his character is just so so bad. And and by making him the focal point instead of the kids, the self centeredness of him just is just almost intolerable. I, I I wrote down here in my notes super cringy whenever Ralphie's on scene by him, on screen by himself. Oh, and yeah. being motivated by like his motivations, not, and I didn't write that the first time I wrote it. The second time I watched it, it's because I watched it last night um, by myself. I watched it the first time with my kids. The second time it's cringy. And why? Because he has no arc. He doesn't learn. He's instead rewarded. Yeah. And like, there's several things that I think about within the story. Like, okay. So, you keep going to the bar. I know that uh, at least one round was on the house, but like your family is down to $21 for Christmas gifts and you keep going to the <laughs> bar and then, Oh, I broke the window out at the bar. <laughs> How are you paying him back? You, you poor flick. Um, you literally, <laughs> If your daughter hadn't finagled uh, getting a radiator, your car would never be fixed. Like, somehow she's able to get a radiator. Yes, like the six-year-old girl is able to do this. But you, as a grown man, have been selfish and have gotten nothing for your family. Yeah, we're really, I mean, we're just, we're wailing on a dead horse right now. (laughs) Yeah, clearly the biggest problem with this movie is the character of Ralphie. And the, but the choices they made within the storytelling, where they I don't think they really were thoughtful about what they were turning Ralphie into by doing this. Like, I felt better about Randy skipping out on his dad's funeral. <laughs> yeah, Randy just kind of becomes weird, whereas Ralphie is like, no, I don't like Ralphie. <laughs> no, I don't like him. Uh, the Keep the Christ in Christmas Award. Uh, did the movie make any references to the real Christmas? Uh, Cody, this movie is the Starbucks of Christmas movies. Just trying to keep Christ out of all of it. Yeah. <laughs> Darn you, Starbucks! Um, I'm just kidding, by the way. That's a joke. Like, I guess there is a kind of a heavenly father that... Uh, you have to make some stretches yes that gives gifts from beyond to to connect humanity (laughs) and that dad's presence was still there i don't know like 
any good redeemable message comes from the lack of dad being there, but dad still being thoughtful, even as he's dying slash um, is dead. And then boom. Yeah. So there's themes sort of, because as we've said, this movie ain't big on the Christmas spirit per se. No. Um, Which is funny because yeah, the dad in the original movie seems like he's gruff. Seems like he's not spending quality time with his kids, but you find out in the end that he was the one listening to his kids, right? Yeah. And and in the same way, they do the same thing with this movie, where in the end, the day is saved because they weren't going to have the the nice Christmas for their kids. But it turns out that Ralphie's dad, before he died, had gone Christmas shopping and stored them all down the basement with everything the grandkids wanted. So not only did he listen to his kids, but in a smaller amount of time of exposure, I'm sure, because they didn't live in the same city anymore, grandpa actually was listening to what the kids wanted for Christmas. Mm. And so, yeah, part of the problem I have with this movie is yeah, you should have transferred this down to Ralphie somehow some way yeah instead by the end of the movie ralphie's still a jerk and the old man is still the guy um literally it is a weird choice for them to like oh we're going to have ralphie like do this mad dash christmas shopping only so that way the gifts can be stolen so then that way we can pull out grandpa is still the one listening and caring okay you bring up some good points i feel like this is one of those movies that was built backwards yeah okay so spoiler alert the end of the movie ralphie is turns out he's going to be successful as a writer because what they do is they loop it back into the beginning of the original where it was ralphie who writes the story for the original movie all along a yeah. Christmas story because he starts reading what he has written for the article in the newspaper. And it is seamlessly, which I think is one of the best things about this movie. It seamlessly w- transfers into the beginning of a Christmas story with the young him running through the streets and, and the voice that's talking. And I thought that's an amazing ending to a movie that didn't deserve it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like that was a great idea. And then it clicked in my mind like, oh, okay. So if you build backwards, if they said, I've got the perfect way to end this, someone came into the room and said, we need to make a sequel to to this movie with all the same people. And the guy said, I have a great idea. I don't know how we get there, but it ends with it looping back into the old movie. And it's a really good feeling. And even though the movie I'd watched, I wasn't impressed with, I had the feeling of like, okay, that was nice. That was good. But in order to get there, you have to have this whole storyline about Ralphie being like a struggling author. And being the worst human being on the face (laughs) of the planet. Like, why not make him like Clark Griswold, where he works for a corporation, but he had dreams of being an author author that he sacrificed for his family. And then in the writing of the obituary for his dad that he still struggles with, you can still have pretty much the same story. You just take out all the junk about him trying to write the next great sci-fi epic. Yeah, because every time he goes to sit down to write the obituary or to do anything about the family, it's like, psych, I'm going to write a science fiction novel right. still. Yeah, yeah, which still manages to, to make him look like a jerk. He's a jerk. Listen, Clark Griswold's a jerk, but he's a lovable jerk. 
Yes. He gets himself into situations because he loves his family so much and he wants to make the perfect holidays for his family so much. Ralphie seems like he's being, you know, forced to do it. He is. Anyways, let's go back to the Christ and Christmas award, which it's, it's funny how the, our, our result of the movie keeps pushing us back into the same place. Uh, but yeah, as I said, this is like the Starbucks of Christmas movies. Yeah, they, I didn't have any redeemable. They so very clearly stay away from even the carolers are not even singing like a real carol, which might have been more Jesus-y. It's yeah. like some generic, like whatever. There, there are two small signs, but they're played as jokes jokes okay one when the they escape from the carolers and one of the carolers goes you turd one of them does the sign of the cross she's like because she's all offended because of her christianness which we're supposed to assume and and like yeah the whole thing's played for a joke like ha 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 christians and then the slide and on the slide, is it Ralphie, Ralphie. himself that gives the sign <laughs> of the cross, which is a head scratcher. And again, um, it's because it's played for laughs. So like, shocking Catholic slander. Like, I mean, if you're going to have Ralphie be Catholic, and even if he's not a devout one that goes to church every mass, um, Literally, Christmas service or Christmas Eve service and Mother's Day and Easter are the three big services that sort of churchy people go to. Yeah. And so, like, they didn't even do that as a family. Like, that might have been something to bring up uh, the mom spirit who just lost her husband. Um, it's super weird in its exclusion because like if you're going to make a joke about people giving the cross on their, you know, on their chest in, in moments where you're clearly trying to make a play for laughs, then let me just say this. I grew up in a family that were not churchgoers. We did not go to church. I, I knew nothing about the Bible. I was never exposed to the Bible. And even I knew Christmas was about Jesus. Right. Yeah. I'm about as, excluded and separated from church as I could possibly be. The only times I was ever in a church was for a wedding. Even I knew what Christmas was about and understood in the Christmas season, we made at least passing references to the baby Jesus where in this movie, man, like it's like the whole thing doesn't exist. And Christmas is only there. Like I just don't, I don't know. It seems like the movie is trying really hard to not like they're literally Starbucks. Yeah. They're trying, they're giving you all the imagery without the specifics. Like guardians that takes place in a completely different galaxy for over half the (laughs) film did a much better job. Yeah. Yeah. They, They show you the manger. They show them you, them confused by the manger, which again, yeah, give us a two-minute sequence of, of the Ralphie's family at church being all like, I don't know what's going on. Showing them confused. Yeah. Yeah, that's all. Home alone. Yeah. Macaulay Culkin goes to church. First to hide out, but then to support the old man. Yeah. It's it's just, it's interesting. This movie has none of that. Um, 
Speaking of Macaulay Culkin, it's time for the Macaulay Culkin Award. Who gets the biggest boost to their career? Because this movie exists. The mom that was in the airplane. You're going to go with Julie Haggerty. <laughs> yeah. Does she need the boost? Um, it had been a while since I'd seen her in anything. Like, literally, <laughs> I'm racking my mind to think, had I seen her since Airplane? <laughs> so... Um, or it's the, the wife yeah. just because like she's in some things, but she's not like a big, well-time known actress. Yeah. She's not given a whole lot to do. It's very interesting. She was in the new Bill and Ted movie. Yeah. Um, she's been in, uh, I don't know, man. She's been in a couple things with the, the bald dude that was on the daily show for a while. <laughs> Which is interesting. She was in King of Queens for a little bit. Yeah. She's been in par- she was in Parks and Rec for a little bit. She's been she's kind of a oh that girl that lady. Yeah. She's that lady, right? And so she continues her legacy of being that lady. Yeah. So um, I don't know. Otherwise it's going to be the kids. Cause no one else in this film like I'm still in a place where she's still that lady. I'm like, as soon as she was on screen, I was like, oh, that lady. Oh, no. Ralphie couldn't have, Ralphie couldn't have swung that. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that that continues. So when she makes another project, you're, you don't forget that she was that lady. And you're like, what did I see her in most recently? Oh, she was the wife on A Christmas yeah. Story Christmas. Can we have a woke moment for, for a second? Okay. Um. Is it sexist? Is it sexist to cast her as Ralphie, like Ralphie, whose character is kind of not the greatest. And like here we have a loving, devoted wife who like every, every part of her character is out of his league. Oh yeah. But that's like a, that's a trope to have the dude who's kind of a loser have like the, the wife who's like a dream wife. Is, is that sexist? It kind of is, isn't it? Probably because we never get the, we never get the opposite. We never get like the irredeemable female character who has the husband with the heart of gold. Yeah. That is like a unicorn moment. Yeah. And I like, I don't listen. I don't want, I'm trying to not make it this a big part of it, but a a small part of it is is that, yeah, Ralphie, like he's also, it's out of his league in, in a lot of ways. And one of them is looks, Ralphie is like, what? How tall is Ralphie? When they were standing next to each other, it was kind of funny because he was super short. Yeah. You don't see tall women with short dudes a lot. That is, again, another unicorn sighting. Yeah. So, like, I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, maybe maybe the listeners can answer that. Is that sexist? Maybe the women that listen should answer. Does that bother you? When we see the dude who has no right, he has. there's no reason he deserves a wife like that. Yeah. And you wonder, how did he do that? Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. I don't know where, we, where, where I should fall out on that. I need instruction. Okay. So who won the movie for? <sighs> I thought about this for a while and I'm going to go with Scotty Schwartz. Okay. As Flick. Um, like nothing probably comes of this movie. It's, so this was hard to pick, but if something did come of this movie, like the guy that deserves it, in my opinion, is Scotty Schwartz who played flick because I think that he has real acting ability. 
Way to go. Flick. He's not like, look, he's not asked to do a whole lot here, but in the scenes he's in, he kind of carries them. Yeah. He, the, his facial expressions were funny. Like um, even when he's not saying something uh, like, I think he has the best moment with the son when he's yeah. like, Hey, have you ever bartended before? Yeah. He's more of a dad than Ralphie. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. And, and like, it helps to know his backstory a little bit. Like, again, he was like a big time child star. And then he goes through that phase of like desperation where he's getting older and look, you see him in the movie. He's short. He's not like, he doesn't have washboard abs, obviously. Yeah. He's overweight. Like he, he was always kind of, so when he was a kid, he was real skinny, but in his, as he started to mature, you could tell he was going to be, maybe a little chunky that's okay i'm chunky but like there's the husky the act husky that's a good way to put it the acting profession can be unkind and so he tries to be a comedian for a while which it'd be a natural fit because i actually think he's kind of funny yeah the problem is is you get pigeonholed you're always a child actor at that point and that led to him to some serious struggles i think along with what we already mentioned that he has this desperation foray into like adult films and it's just like i feel for the guy because i think that's probably a hard life i think this dude has probably led a pretty hard life and i'm just here for i'm here for scott schwartz redemption arcs that's what i'm saying okay that that's fine you know you, you have no thoughts on that no mm. <laughs> It says um, that he manages a sports and movie memorabilia collectible store, sports and movie stuff with his father, Dan Schwartz in Simi Valley, California. That's what he does now. If you want to come to Chanute, Kansas and open a store, you can have the pop culture pastor version of your store. I would actually, he's on cameo too. Maybe we need to touch base with this guy. It'd Get be, him on the show. I would like to know his story because I'm sure there's some tragedy in there and not like, look, tragedy is, is, um, I use that word. It's, it's also subjective. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is probably some, um, a unique trajectory within the, his yeah. life and the, the things that he probably went through, uh, and seeing if how he's doing now, like, do yeah. you feel that you are in a better place than you were 20 years ago? Yeah. I'd be very interested to see where this dude's at in his life, where he's at spiritually. I just, I'd like to, if, if he's happy. So, yeah, I, I would say he was definitely one of the better adults in the movie. Mm -hmm. Again, there was a lot of nostalgia with the mom or the lady from airplane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I'm fascinated by his, him and his character. And I'm going to say that, uh, th the best chance of something developing f is for, is for that guy. Way to go. The Rankin Bass lifetime achievement award. Will this ever be a Christmas classic Cody? <sighs> okay. So I came into this slightly biased because, Christmas Story was not my movie. 
Right. Um, so it comes out in 1983. Mm-hmm. And by that time, my parents are either in high school or out of high school. So it wasn't something they grew up with. Mm-hmm. And so when Home Alone comes out, it comes out about the time I'm born. And so it's in heavy rotation um, throughout my early childhood. And it becomes one of those go-to movies for my family and I because it's what my sister and I grew up with. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, some of the older Christmas movies that my parents grew up with, we'd watch those. Uh, so it it misses in that time period, and so like Christmas stories on when I'm a kid, but there's like just memorable scenes. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like it's really like one of those all timers that some people have it as, and if you do have it as that, that that's great. Um, this movie was so far below the original that no like. You'd have to be a Christmas story fan to go back and revisit it. Yeah. Uh, where uh, since I'm not, I'm not going out of my way. It, like there has to be absolutely nothing on like streaming <laughs> services have to cancel all their TV shows and movies. And then like, there's only a handful of things left in me being like, well, I guess this wasn't that bad. Yeah. I had to watch this movie twice. And I'm only a little salty about it. Um, Now, I wonder if maybe it would be better if you watched it first and then went into a Christmas story. Mm. And maybe then maybe that changes the way you look at the original. Yeah. But as someone that's not a fan of the original, I'm not going back. I don't think that would work because then I go through the original thinking Ralphie's never going (laughs) to mature out of this. He's going to be a jerk. And it's, it's Scott Farkas is the hero. He's the actual hero of the story. I, you know, like, look, I'll, I'll defend it a little bit. I'll say that it's it, what they set out to do was not make another Christmas classic. They're literally trying to extend the nostalgia. It's yeah. a, it's a sequel in every sense. And so they're just trying to appeal to fans of a Christmas story. And you're right. Christmas story is a movie for Gen X and baby boomers would like it because it takes place. It reminds them of their childhood, but it was really aimed at gen X and as such, it only appealed to them. And like, it was very cult classic. So -hmm. people don't remember this before TNT and TBS picks it up and is putting it on, you know, 24 seven hours on Christmas Eve. It's very much a cult classic. It's not until then that it really gets wider appeal and becomes something bigger. And so I always loved a Christmas story. I did like it. It was because it was nostalgic for me. It made me feel, um, it made me feel like watching the original makes me, reminds me of being a kid. And, um, it is a classic for me, but the sequel, this is never trying to be a new Christmas classic. Cause that has to appeal to more people. And it, yeah. this movie will never appeal to someone like you said, who isn't a fanatic for the original Christmas story and just like seeing the same characters on screen. So if they had followed the kids more mm-hmm. than Ralphie and just kind of had Ralphie be there and in the background and then at the end of the movie reconnect to the original, I think you could continue on and I think you can connect a whole new generation to it. 
Um, I don't think that this movie accomplishes that. Let's let's talk about Ralphie for a second because we kind of skipped that in the naughty list. Let's talk about Peter Billingsley. Hey, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know. Like again, it seems like he's trying to channel the how he played Ralphie as a, however old he was. Yeah. Which to me, if that was the direction he got, doesn't really work because it makes him look like he's just not a very great actor, which he probably isn't loved him as Ming Ming in elf. <laughs> but yeah, um, having him be the focal point of the movie is in my opinion, super damaging to the quality of the film. Um, and it's just because he just can't carry it. His character's not even likable. Yeah. Again, if I'm comparing him to another famous dad with issues in a Christmas classic, like Clark Griswold, um, he actually on the screen is a very fascinating character um, while being insensitive and having faults. He's also very endearing. And Oh, by the way, he's acted. The actor in that part is one of the actors of that generation. Comedic wise, Chevy chase, who clearly had a lot of talent and can carry uh, the load of that poor Peter Billingsley <laughs> is put into a position yeah they i'm with you they should have made this movie about his kids and told a different story you could still end at the same place yeah absolutely like hey he's now a writer and it goes into the first movie how great would this movie have been if it would have ended before christmas right at the same point where they find like so say ralphie and the mom go into the basement to fix the fuse and they find the presents that the old man has bought, including the sled and the easy bake oven that they had gotten stolen and would now no longer would be able to provide yeah. for, for the family. And you could somehow wing it and end it in such a way where his kids running across the street from the old homestead, then blurs into the old thing. And it's still before Christmas. And like, to me that would have worked better, but at having made the movie more about his kids. Yeah. Like, because I'm not invested in any way in their, what they want for as gifts, which is completely opposite from the original. I'm super invested in the red rider BB gun. Yeah. It's one of the most memorable Christmas gifts of all time. Yeah. Not a Christmas classic. How many out of 10 wise men, Cody? Um, I'll be nice. I'll go four, four. Yeah. I'm going to give it a five. It's average for me. Uh, it does some things that I like the original cast. I, I, I respect what they tried to do. Yeah. It just doesn't work. It. Yeah. And every part of my Christmas spirit says, here's your five. <laughs> um, again, as someone that probably would have given the original a five, just because I really do not connect with the Christmas story whatsoever. Um, I thought four was very yeah, generous. That's fair. That's fair. Hey, if you didn't like the original, and like I get it, it doesn't hit you in the same spot that it hit us Gen Xers. But hey, tell us what you thought of A Christmas Story Christmas. How did it hit you? What did you think about it? How many wise men out of 10 would you give it? Uh, put it, uh, comment on our social media, join our pop culture pastor community group. Uh, where we will share the post in there. You guys can talk about it as usual. Uh, make sure and subscribe and rate our podcast wherever you can and uh, sh- join the social media, follow us on social media and uh, share all our stuff on there. It helps out the pod and allows us 
to hopefully have a future where we can do more and more stuff, put out more and more content. Uh, and we just really, really want to do that for you because we really love you guys. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.